You're listening to Drek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole and where the hosts get together with friends uh, and we talk about all things geeky. Uh, don't forget to order a drink from Ruby. Maybe try and see if you can get that name and grab a chair. I'm your host, Matthew Rushing, and today I've got some special guests with me. Norm Lau, it's great to have you back here on the 602 Club and officially now one of our associate producers. How are you doing? I'm great and it's, uh, it's, it's always great to be here. Um, I think that Ruby... Keeps my chair warm, has a nice little uh, phaser set on, I don't know, about 0.5, and just kind of toasts up my chair before I come in, so she's a sweetheart. You know what's fantastic is now I can just go, Norm! There you go. And it fits, because we're in a 602 club. Uh, it's not Cheers, but uh, we've got our you know uh, main bartender, Ruby, so it's great. Secondly, I'm really excited. I have been listening to this guy's podcast for a very long time now. Uh, he is one of the illustrious hosts there of The Zero Room with his friend Doug. And we have with us today, Jose. How are you doing there, Jose? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Matthew. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, I gather you tonight because we're going to be talking about Constantine. Just started last week and... Um, all of us have gotten a chance to watch it, but I wanted to do something just a little bit different than we've done with some of the other shows, mainly because Constantine is a character that a lot of us kind of have um, in our, uh, like we, we kind of have him in our, our comic milieu, but we don't necessarily have uh, a firm understanding of him as a character. So um, Jose and Norm, I know you guys um, have a little bit more background, but I do know that this character first appeared as a cameo in the saga of Swamp Thing in number 25 in June 37, I think. 37? Uh, and yeah, well, that I was think, his yeah. cameo, but his he actually reveals himself completely, apparently, in uh, number 37, which was in 1985 there with uh, Vertigo Comics. And so, guys, tell me a little bit just kind of about the history of this character that we've got here and um, maybe some of the ways that he's kind of changed over, you know, the last 30 years. Uh, well, I, you know, um, well, so the interesting thing about, I think, the, 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 the sort of the trivia note about John is that he's based on Sting, which I always loved. As a, yeah. As, <laughs> In that first as a, comic as a, book, as a, he as looks like po- him. Yeah. As a huge police fan uh, that I am, uh, the fact that he was based on Sting is is great. He's very much a product of, of the of the mid eighties um, and and sort of post punk rock British music and 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 sort of a mix between his and sort of and Alan Moore's sort of crazy magic you know that that he kind of dabbles in and and he's this he's this great he's become this very iconic British character um, but yeah he starts out in Sw- Saga of the Swamp Thing which was being written by Alan Moore at the time I think he's there for about. I want to say till like 47, 49 or something like that. This was a DC imprint at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Vertigo didn't exist. Vertigo begins basically with Hellblazer. Uh, about a few issues later, they run Hellblazer under the DC banner for, I want to say like 20 issues, something like that. I can't remember exactly. And then uh, then they launch Vertigo and Hellblazer kind of goes with it. 
But uh, John is, uh, I don't know, he's a prototypical con man, you know. Um, he deals in the dark arts. Uh, he's He kind of reminds me a little bit of like a, he has a little bit of a Columbo in him, you know, sort of the disheveled, broken guy who's a little smarter than everybody in the room. He's got a little bit of that uh, artful dodger in him. And, and at the same time, he's, a, you know, he's influenced everybody from a lot of stuff that we see now. You know, Supernatural, uh, the Dresden Files. Exactly. Those, guys, those yeah. guys are all, I mean, those are all riffing on Hellblazer in, in one way or another. So, I mean, I think that's kind of like, uh, that's, I think, I think that's his birth. I mean, his, he's mo- mostly known for being, you know, a jerk, a uh, uh, a guy who's doing the right thing, but is is harsh about it. He's he's not entirely selfless. He's 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 definitely more selfish, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about people. It's just that he cares about himself a little bit more. And you know, it, and you go back to those eighties times. That's that's Dark Night space. That's uh, you know, we're almost getting into Image time in the nineties. It's it's sort of. The anti-hero is a big thing, and, and John really fits into that. I mean, one of the things going back and researching this, and I remember this reading comics in the mid-1980s, was that DC was at that point um, where they needed an outlet, almost kind of like uh, the 10 o'clock slot on a Friday night, which is you know where Constantine is, or is it 9 o'clock? I think it's, I think it's 10. I think it's, yeah, it's at 10 here on the Pacific coast yeah. And so. yeah but it needed that um it needed that area where it could start trending uh towards the audience that's been growing with them for the last you know 10 or so years you know the comic book fans in the mid 1970s you know they were we loved superman we love batman we love our justice league we love our super friends you know marvin and one you know wendy and wonder dog and now we're that was five and now we're 15 and we're starting to get into um, the questions of life. We're starting to be a little bit more rebellious. We're starting to get a little bit more cheeky. Um, Alan Moore is on the rise uh, with um, you know V and Watchmen, and uh, the British invasion of writing has translated what they understand from across the pond and start, well, especially with Alan Moore, they start kind of um, distilling the great and powerful tropes of the 1980s, which is cynicism, commercialism, capitalism, everything that pretty much Gordon Gekko stands for in Wall Street, and and starts writing that into comics and in the superheroes themselves, in a way. Um, John Constantine just points that out. He is honest. He is brutally honest, because that's that's the voice that I think that those guys felt they needed at the time. Oh yeah, I mean John's John's a rebel. He's he's anti-establishment. He's he's the guy. I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like an analog now, and and I don't know. Like right off the top of my head, who you would like trying to think of like a figure that you would point out and be like, he's the guy. But like I said, he's he comes from that uh, Elvis punk rock, you know, down with the government, down with the establishment. You know, it's it's Thatcher's England. It's mm-hmm. it's you know he's steeped in that rebellion. I mean, the, a, a character. I mean, it wasn't really a superhero character per se, but a character that's very familiar in that same tone and around the same time was um, uh, martial law. 
you know, oh, sure. where, yeah. you know, uh, there was a Kevin O'Neill. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And, um, that's, there's Chaikin, right? Chaikin was drawing that, I think. So. Chaikin, I think Chaikin was drawing it. Yeah. And when you read styles of comics in that vein, I think that, you know, the teenage population at the time, you know, they were really resonating with it because, you know, they wanted a voice, you know, they didn't want, uh, everything wasn't squeaky clean. Everything wasn't, um, you know, the one to grow on moment. I wanted to test. I wanted to push the boundaries. And I think because of that popularity, I mean, you know, uh, Constantine or Hellblazer was given its own launching pad and, you know, and Vertigo started and it started to explore more of what that audience wanted. So it was, I mean, you know, John, John Constantine was really a pioneer for continuing uh, the, the growth of an entire generation that has been brought up by uh, the, funny enough, by the icons of DC, by the, by the ultimate superheroes. Now they're, you know, trending more towards the, the anti-hero and and that's yeah. very much what it was in the late 1980s well and it, it's, it's interesting too you know that our most you know popular comics from that time period become you know the watchmen's or uh you know the dark knights uh those those very like visceral dark gritty heroes that you know we all kind of um, hold up there, you know, and, and, and always makes me think, you know, Watchmen is, is, is honestly just one of the best comics ever written. It, it holds up today. It was on uh, Time's best 100 best novels of like the last century. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, this really does have an impact on, I think the entire, you know, comic book, uh, world, when, when these kind of things start to happen and it's really resonated all the way through. I mean, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns still have a huge impact in the way that people view Batman today. You're not kidding about that. You know, <laughs> um, but, uh, what, you know I think I think also, uh, I mean, obviously John is British, but I don't think John could come from the mind of an American writer at that time. I think, I think, you, you look at a lot of the guys that were writing, you know, Grant's writing, uh, Warren's just like starting, uh, but a lot like like Norman was saying, a, a lot of the British invasion guys are coming over and they're saying, look, um, comics can be more than just superheroes and we can we can plumb a little bit more depth out of them. We can, you know, because they're coming from a tradition of like 2000 AD and, you know, all those all those you know, they're reading heavy metal. They're influenced by a lot of European comics and they're able to, they're, they're able to look at something like John or creating John and, and Alan creates John, but he's not really, he doesn't become, I mean, he's sort of formed, but he hasn't really become formed until he's in the pages of Hellblazer because he's not really holding up his own story. He's, he's walking around helping the swamp thing do his thing. And, and you get, uh, um, a sense of who this guy is, but until until it's his story, it's not quite the same. I think it's interesting that um, just to throw a Doctor Who crossover into this, I think uh, one of the people or the person that we should th- thank uh, for bringing this, uh, you know, into the comics medium or championing this at the time was Karen Berger uh, uh, Virgo, because much like Verity Lambert did with Doctor Who, I mean, she was really she was behind all this from the very beginning. Oh yeah, well, I mean, she's the she's the She's the vertigo mom. I mean, she is, she's, 
I, um, I, I'm looking at my Hellblazer number one right now, and I'm almost entirely sure she's the editor on it. Mm-hmm. No, she championed. I mean, between this and Watch and Watchmen and a bunch of other things. I mean, Karen Berger was was the voice of 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 Vertigo Comics. It's it's what brought Neil. It's what brought Sandman. She absolutely championed this, and and she championed this idea that we can bring in these guys from from Britain, make slightly more adult comic books dealing with uh, graphic horror and sex and violence and and moral issues uh, that are that are um, not so black and white, and uh, and really do some some damage, and and that spreads eventually to comics. To, to Superman and Batman and all those guys, but it's not immediate. Well, I also think that what Constantine introduced was a completely different way of looking at illustrating comics. Because at the time, comics were very... There was like a nice, clean, um, academic approach to it. I mean, one of my favorite artists of all time is George Perez. And sure. at that time, you know, I, I believe that Crisis was going off. Yeah, Crisis, and, crisis is going off. John Constantine yeah. is in a Crisis crossover episode. Yeah issue of Swamp Thing. And then that you have that look between him or Jerry Ordway or, you know, there's a, there's a very nice um, traditional classic look. And then all of a sudden in the Vertigo line, you have a lot of just really interpretive art, incredibly striking covers, covers that sometimes even parents would stray away from when you're going down the comics aisles because it, it was very adult, it was very graphic, very dark. Um, and it, I don't know, it, it's just... it it started to seep in towards more of the mainstream lines. And then you start seeing like really awesome comics, like uh, our covers, like um, uh, Arkham Asylum, um, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, or anything or um, all the Dave you know. McKean, McKean uh, swamp mm-hmm. uh, Sandman covers. And, and uh, um, I'm, I'm almost sure that's the artist. And uh, I'm looking right now at the cover for Hellblazer number one. Um, I'm trying to get the cover artist name on it. Doesn't, doesn't have it. So I'm guessing it's John Ridgway who's drawing the book as well. But yeah, they're very artistic. Um, they're meant to evoke a, a very dark. This is what happens in the in the in the dark corners of the DC universe. And uh, like I said, it was it was like nothing we we'd really seen too much of. You, everybody kind of dabbled in horror and the macabre. You know, go back and look at a bunch of EC comics from like the sixties mm-hmm. and. Um, or the fifties, I want to say kind of, you know, before the comics code and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, they're dabbling in all that, but for so long that was forbidden in American comics to go that dark that when we see DC kind of go there with the vertigo line, uh, and, and Hellblazer kind of leading the way it, uh, it changes everything. And it's not like they, I mean, we, we had characters that were able to, associate themselves with the occult. I mean, you had, you know, Boston Brand, you know, Dead Man, and, you know, oh, sure. you had um, you know, Dr. Fate, the Phantom Stranger, the Questions, the Tana, but they were all still wrapped in a very traditional superhero look and feel. And what I loved about John Constantine was it was a very regular looking Sting-esque, yeah, I mean, you know, all caricature. all characters you mentioned all had costumes. Exactly. Yep. John Constantine has a, has a coat and a suit. Just you rolled know. right out of bed or rolled right out of the taxi and into yeah. the next story. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's very, he has a little bit of that Sherlock Holmes in him as far as, um, uh, you know, just like you said, just kind of stumbling into the next adventure. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he is a, he is a singularly one of the, one of the best comic book creations ever. And I think that's why, um, as we're going to talk about the show, I think that's why the show 
can be will be uh, polarizing to longtime fans that that hold him in such uh, esteem because there is sort of a a cult of Constantine uh, that formed around him as the years went on. Constantine also had the distinction of being a book that took place in real time. Right. So as the book Mm -hmm. aged, he aged, which is something that comic books don't do that we're not used to seeing uh, done. Um, There were real repercussions to his, uh, to his actions. They weren't undone the next issue. It was, it was this very long continuing, you know, 300 issue drama. And, uh, and I think uh, like Norman, I, I dipped in and out of, of, of Constantine throughout the years and some runs were better than others. Um, and, and I would probably argue that he was better towards the beginning than he was towards the end. But, uh, you know, like I said, uh, one, of the, one of the great comic book characters, uh, frankly, ever created. Well, and that's what's so interesting here as we kind of move towards the show is that Constantine kind of went from being a character very much in his own universe. Uh, you know, you talked about, Jose, the fact that obviously he's introduced in, in Swamp Thing and then... Uh, he dips into an issue for uh, Infinite Crisis, but on a whole, Constantine is in his own universe. He doesn't really touch a lot of the other uh, DC characters. Yeah, he he flirts a little bit in the DC universe there at first, and then once Vertigo is launched, he kind of just disappears, and he's really not around anymore. It's just him in his book and his own story, which I think serves the book, you know, perfectly. I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, he's now part of the DC universe, sort of in whole cloth, and uh, and I think that's great because um, I think it's very interesting to see Constantine, um, how do you call it, uh, interact with the superheroes. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it's yep. a dynamic we haven't seen in a very long time, so I think it's an interesting dynamic to explore. But the fact that you could have this self-contained universe in which he could exist in is is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's an issue of Planetary, I think, from Warren Ellis. That uh, that touches a little bit on sort of the legacy of John Constantine, and I can't remember mm-hmm. who the analog is that he uses. But there's a whole issue that's devoted to sort of British comics, and John's kind of the a John analog is the lead for that, and uh, it's and it's great stuff. Well, the only thing that I can think of right now, even in the DC universe that has been existing in the universe right now has been Brian Azzarello's run on Wonder Woman, where she has been very much a standalone in her own book. Like her own book doesn't have a ton of repercussions like outside. There's some, a few connections, but on a whole, what's been happening to her is been her own continuous story and she hasn't had a lot of crossovers with yeah, which with I'm anybody kind of, else in that which is I been, don't I don't have a problem with that. I, oh, I no, think, not at all. I'm I'm just saying I think that that's been the only thing most recently in the DC universe that I can think of that's kind of been um, allowed to be on its own. Yeah, it, about allowed to be on its own, which I in some ways really enjoy because you know it, as much fun as all the crossovers are, it is always kind of frustrating to say be reading uh, Supergirl and then be asked to go and buy, you know, um, an issue of uh, Red Hood so I can figure out what happens next, or you, you know, somebody else in the Super Family, uh, whether it's Superboy or whatever. You know, when when you start spreading it out, it I, I you sometimes lose story, and and that kind of story cohesion is very nice when you can just pick up you know, 
so many uh, you know so many issues of say just specifically right now wonder woman you can read one through 35 it's all one continuous story and you're not going to worry that you might have to go out and get something else to read it that's it's just not done a lot in comics and i'm i like when they do that personally as much as i like all the big crossover events you know that they they do i think john crossed over with sandman once or twice i want to say yeah and and whatnot, I, but that's the beauty of Sandman as a comic. It's 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 just sort of this ethereal thing that exists everywhere and and nowhere at the same time. So, you know, he touched everybody. So that's mm-hmm. that's what's so beautiful about that book. But yeah, no, no, I I agree. I think I think having him in, in his own doing his own thing uh, has served him very very well as a character. Well, now with the proliferation of DC on TV, I mean, you know, we've had Gotham start this year, we've had Flash, and now we have Constantine, and then we know that coming, you know, in in the next year, we're going to have Supergirl, and there could be more Teen Titans. Um, I mean, it's just, it's exploded on television. They've brought one of the, I think, the most interesting things that they could do on TV, uh, which is Constantine, because... It's had some precursors on television uh, now that's kind of it, it, it has inspired. I can I can think of a lot of things that were influenced by by sort of that storytelling. And, and like I said, I think I mentioned Supernatural before. Yes, there you go. Uh, certainly um, Buffy even draws a little mm-hmm. bit from from Constantine, the idea of demons oh, sure. and yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, you've got the Dresden Files. You've yeah. got Kolchak, the Night Stalker, I want to say. They're, Brimstone. They're probably draw- Brimstone. Yeah. Yep. Um uh, those all those shows. Kolchak might be around the same. It's probably around the same time, if not earlier. So you're probably they're probably drawing from each other, or at least Constantine's maybe drawing from him. But yeah, any, basically any of these. And it's interesting. I think you can even look at uh, Capaldi's Doctor Who. Yes, yes, a little bit, and see. Look, he's never going to be the 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 sort of rat jerk that Constantine is, or should be, anyways. But but you see that prickliness, that that ability to do what needs to be done, and darn, you know, damn whatever else gets in his way. You can see a little bit of that in the Capaldi Doctor, and that's 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 coming. That's 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 John Constantine's DNA. But yeah, no, I think uh, I think it was a very interesting thing. I, I certainly knew that I, when I first heard about it, I was like, whoa, they're going to do Constantine on TV and on NBC. But I had some hope because um, I don't know if you guys watch Hannibal mm-hmm. on NBC, but that is a fine, fine television show. I mean, that is a great TV. That's some great TV right there. And they are not afraid to go dark. Um, they are not afraid to to play with themes of horror and stuff like that. So um, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, given given time and some success, uh, Constantine can go to those places. And I think that they've. They've shown us hints in this pilot uh, that uh, that they can and are willing to go there. It's just how the audience is going to react to it. You know, traditionally in the um, in the Friday night ten o'clock time slot, they usually, I mean, traditionally call it the death slot. But with the advent right. of you know DVR and DVR Nielsen recordings, I think that Constantine actually has more of a fighting chance than than in the past because, and with iTunes or any other way that you want to you know download that content, it's it's. It can use that time slot wisely to be able to tell a more adult and graphic story the way that Vertigo used its line back in 1985 to extend the ability to uh, tell an intelligent story that resonates with 
this particular audience because when the Constantine or the Hellblazer audience is watching this, they are bringing in the, and I'd like to associate this with the, the Yoda cave on Dagobah, they bring in what, you know, what is in there is that what they bring in with them. Yeah, Doubt, yeah, yeah. and I know. think I think that's very true of all of these comic book uh, adaptations that have been, especially of, of the more popular the character, the mm-hmm. more you're going to bring with you because you start you've already developed a relationship with the character personally, so you're going to bring that with you. And if the relationship isn't exactly the same, you're you're gonna you're gonna feel some pushback. But I agree with you. I think the Friday night ten o'clock slot is is not a place to bury it, but rather a place to nurture it and. And hopefully um, everybody kind of gets their everybody's together on the same page and can can make the show that um, that not only do we want to see, but that everybody maybe wants to make. Because I do think that NBC, in spite of, you know, sort of having been a laughingstock for years now, I do think that they're trying to take more risks with some of their programming. They're they're trying to. you know, the guys that own it now are, are cable guys. And I, I do think that they're trying to push that broadcast envelope closer to cable in, in tone and maturity and themes and stuff like that. And it's not, it doesn't mean that you can't make fun stuff, but it means that it also allows you to make more um, sort of richer, a little bit more risque stuff. I don't, you know, they're never going to be treading on HBO's turf just simply because HBO can do whatever they want. But, um, and they're still a broadcast medium but i think this is another show in the vein of say hannibal Mm -hmm. where they can push the envelope should they choose to well for you guys you know it started on on friday and and we've all gotten a chance to watch it uh just wanted to kind of talk about your first impressions of the show itself and and like we've talked about you know as comic book fans and people who have some knowledge of the comic books we do all bring with us a lot of things when we watch this uh and and specifically you know we even talked about on the first episode of the show here you know the idea we all have expectations that we bring to whatever it is and and that can be sometimes good but a lot of times it's just harmful because we're expecting something that isn't going to happen um because the creators of the show all have their own ideas of what they're going to do and so I just wanted to know, uh, Norm, we'll start with you. What did you think of, of Constantine the show? Well, I'm gonna, this is going to be a little bit of a, of a sojourn here back to 2009 because 2009 taught me something very, very, very important. My friends had to tranquilize me to basically bring me to see Star Trek 2009. I said, you know, there's, there, there, is, <laughs> there is Star Trek, there is Star Trek, and then there's this movie coming out. And I brought in as as probably as many high expectations as as any Star Trek fan would, and then I saw it, and then I it sat with me. I digested it, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it for what it was, not for what it compared to, for what it was. That's the way that now I approach almost every single one of these mediums because if you bring all of this history to bear on something that's trying to deliver something that's completely new to a new audience with new ideas and not necessarily ignore or disrespect the audience that brought them here, then I think it has a chance to be successful with not only that audience, but an audience of new people. And for Constantine, since I wasn't the most loyal, avid episode or or issue-by-issue reader, I found it incredibly daring. I, I found the choices that they made with that show very bold, even for the time slot it was in for network TV. I thought that uh, they finally, at least physically, 
got the part right. Yeah, compared amen to that. Know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Matt Matt Ryan is he is awesome. He yeah. is uh, he's 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 very good at that part. I mean, very much like Stephen Amell with Oliver Queen and and Grant Gustin with Barry. This guy, this Matt Ryan, he was able to step into it and he he brought that character to life as soon as you saw him. Yeah, I mean, he's got a he's got a presence, I think. And like I think the two guys that you mentioned are also there. I also wanted to bring I, I could also uh, just since we're sticking with the comic book stuff. Uh, Robin Lord Taylor on Gotham as yeah. the Penguin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean these. Brilliant. He, yeah, I mean these are guys that are they're popping off the screen, and I do think that that Matt Ryan, uh, not the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons, um, brings that <laughs> completely uh, different, completely different guy. Yeah. Uh, really brings that to bear. I completely agree with you, hundred percent. Well, I, he, I mean, the moment he says, "That's that's his master," does it? Well. Yeah, really I, should I change like that to Kenny Dabbler. Yeah. I, I hate to put on airs. Like uh, immediately, I'm I'm sold on the character. Yeah, I was he, a, I was a big fan of that opening yeah. scene with him uh, at at Ravenscar getting the electroshock therapy, yeah. and and I was like, oh, that's a really like that's a really dark, visceral way to to start the episode is him getting electroshock therapy and looking just just haggard and and uh, um. The whole thing, I, I, Neil Marshall, who uh, is known for some horror and and some uh, in in film, directed this episode, and uh, and he brings a lot of that to bear. I, I I've heard some criticisms of the of the pilot where people were like uh, that it didn't look very good, and I would I would have to disagree with that. I, I think it has a, I think it has a very interesting atmosphere to it. But I do think that that opening scene is 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 really great. So it's, it's a it's it's a ton of it's it's not just fun, but it's a little bit like off putting. Like this is our hero, and you know he's kind of falling apart, and and I, but I I really enjoyed that a lot. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go. No, it's okay. It's it's what it did, and I love the opening. What it did is conveyed a lot of information about him very quickly. And in 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 pilot season or pilot itis, uh, you you almost have to use the pilot filter in your eyes. And say, okay, you know what? There's 48, 47 minutes of storytelling that they have to be able to. You know, to capture a certain audience, either the audience that came from the history of Constantine or the audience that they're trying to capture because it's another DC property. And they've done so well with Arrow and they've done so well with Flash. And I think Gotham is doing very well. So here it is. It's here's another DC property. You know, we we have to make sure that this is coming up aces with with those people that we have to impress, because when we were talking about social media before, this is one of those. It's either you're going to love it or you're going to hate it, but you don't take the time sometimes to really digest what you just saw and bring that conversation to bear in a way that helps perpetuate further viewings. Uh, I I completely I yeah I see what you're saying there, and I don't I mean look uh, pilots are a very tricky thing. Um, not only is it in a lot of circumstances not the best episode. Of a series by any stretch of the imagination. Well, they usually never are um, pilots. You know, they are they are platforms for uh, exposition, character setup, introductions, and usually whatever the plot is for the week is something minor and small because we have to do gobs and gobs of exposition in a pilot so that everybody knows who everybody is and everybody knows where they stand. And Constantine, especially, is in a weird situation because. 
they shot a pilot with an actress that they decided that they didn't want to keep. Yes. I don't think it was the actress's fault. I think it was. I think they just looked at the character and where things were going to be going in a series and decided that they wanted someone that John could be more uh, uh, sort of an even partner with than have and and I and I say this carefully have a say doctor companion relationship with where the the girls kind of wide eyed and doesn't know what's going on and 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 needs saving or or whatever needs instruction and they wanted someone with a little bit more uh maturity behind them well you always i mean it's i think it would serve especially when you're dealing with like this type of occult type storytelling where you have that character that uh that receptacle of the audience that you can pour yourself into and be you know next to Constantine as he's doing you know what he does so yeah, but I, I read that earlier where um, they invested some time in this character introducing her, and obviously she's not going to make the cut. Yeah. Um, so so Constantine has a has a weird, as far as a pilot's concerned, has a weird structure because they spend a lot of time introducing a character that we're ne- probably never going to see again, or at least we won't see for a very long time. And uh, so we'll get we'll get Zed next week. Mm-hmm. So Constantine has that weird structure. But yeah, no, pilots are a very tricky, hard thing. I, I know that I like the pilot quite a bit. I thought um, I watched it again yesterday because I wanted to reacclimate myself with it. And uh, I think I enjoyed a lot of sort of the, the, the pipe that they were laying narratively uh, about John and about, um, did you guys see the leaked pilot at all? Or did you only see this one? I just saw the broadcast. I, yeah. Pilot. I've only seen the broadcast okay. one. All right. Yeah. Cause you know, the pilot leaked like sometime in like March or something like that. And they showed it, I think at some point in time, before they shot the stuff with Liv not leaving, where she was going to stick around, so it's, there's some there's some interesting choices that they've made. But I do like that in in both versions, John's manipulating the situation to get the outcome that he wants, which I think is the most important. One of the most important things about John is yeah. that he's he's constantly trying to manipulate everything around him to do what he wants it to do. So he manipulates her into seeing the body of the guy that gets murdered on the street so that she'll have sort of a, a, an understanding of what she's going to get herself into and the hopes in the hopes I think that he, he wants is for her to leave because people around him die. And he doesn't want to see her die rather than just, Again. rather than just like vulgarly telling her, you know, you've got to go. It's, it's, he manipulates her into leaving. Again, straddling that Doctor Who fence, you know, they're pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently there's sure. a lot, uh, like British people just can't get away from Doctor Who comparisons. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's just going to happen. But hey, that's, that's another <laughs> British institution, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, so you can't get away from it too much. I think one of the things that was really cool about, uh, what they did in this episode was the establishment of the base or the headquarters or the lair. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah, because you know, that base. will always be a set piece that will come back. And there is one, one artifact in particular where my brain just, my five-year-old inner child just went off. Let me guess. You know, it was the, uh, there was a rock. No, it wasn't the rock. It was the helmet of Dr. Fate. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it yeah. was. Which I haven't seen that since Smallville. Oh, right. Exactly. So, right. Yeah, they cracked episode. that out so, in Smallville. I forgot about yeah. that. Um, yeah, the helmet of Dr. Fate. There's also, uh, Pandora's boxes in there. Um, yeah. In the, in the background. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of serving as a house of secrets, house of mystery kind of location 
they never call it that, but it's certainly touching on that. Uh, I'm glad that they're um, they're willing to go into the lore a little bit, show you the helmet of Dr. Fate, show you mm-hmm. Pandora. They've already announced that they're going to have uh, John Corgan uh, show up in an episode who eventually becomes the Spectre. So, you know, there's a lot of that great DC stuff, Phantom Stranger, Dead Man, Zatanna. Etrigan the Demon. Etrigan the Demon, you know, um... Uh, Felix Faust, you know, yep, there's the question. Yeah, yeah the question. Sure. The question. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, if they don't bring Jeffrey comes in as the question, <laughs> it, would just, would break, it would just break my well, heart. I have to admit <laughs> that his, his, his question on, on Justice League Unlimited is, is fantastic. I don't know mm-hmm. if that character plays on in live action like that, but boy, his, his question was awesome in jail. So good. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, but yeah, so I'm glad that you know, much like the Flash, much like Arrow, much like Gotham, they're able to touch on some of the DC stuff and say, you know, we can play with the magic a little bit, and that's great. I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, I I I love that those things are there, and I love uh, watching people say on Twitter in comments, go, "What was that? Was that something important?" and Somebody's there, you know, immediately going, that's the helmet of Dr. Fate, fool. You know, how do you not know what that is? <laughs> you know, and I, I, I love that people get excited about that to drop that Easter egg in there because that's, 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 that's world building. That's, that's, that's good stuff. That's what, that's what I think Flash is doing right now so incredibly well. And I think uh, hopefully given time, Constantine will, will get that opportunity to do that as well. Well, as long, I mean, I, th- I think those Easter eggs, again, the world building is great. As long as they maintain a certain level of maturity when in if and when they decide to possibly bring in that character. I mean, I think that it's nice to have that artifact in there because in the realm of occult artifacts in the DC universe, I mean, it's, it's the entire spirit that's in the, the helmet, you know, right, that empowers yeah, him. Yeah, so, you know, you, you got to be careful, especially with Constantine, because they're trying to build a more real time, real world scenario with him in it. As opposed to again, like Flash or Arrow, where they're a little bit more tongue in cheek with their uh, references or any of their guest star appearances. Oh, sure, 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 you know? sure. I, I, you know, I think that as long as you stay true to sort of the essence of the show, you can get away with that. And I think the comic, go going back to Constantine, the comic, I think that's what made that comic sort of special to a certain extent was that when when they did touch on the supernatural stuff, they just kind of went in. You know, they kind of went in all the way. And I think that if if Constantine the show is going to have that, they also need to, you need to believe that there are demons and angels and devils and, and they all have to be treated as a very real thing and not get too crazy. But, but if you're going to do it, you got to do it. And I think they kind of, I, I like the effect of Astra being pulled away by that, by, uh, by the demon because the demon that they show is, it's very comic booky. But it's also a little scary. I mean, he's yeah. it's yeah. creepy. A thing is not pretty. And and they they kind of um they didn't kind of they 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 touched on some horror strings with the corpse in the corners van and mm-hmm. the when Liv see his sees her grandmother and then she's like like I thought that was a very effective scene. It's a really oh, effective yeah. scene, yeah. And then she's kind of vomiting the black mm-hmm. bile yep. out of her mouth and mm-hmm. um so I like I said I. I hope that they they sort of steer into that skit a little bit more and 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 aren't afraid on a Friday night at ten o'clock to to go for it. You know, I mean, I think uh, you want to talk about a show that brought the the huzz uh, long before this show was the X Files. 
And if oh, and never. if they yeah. can and if they can steer into that skid of like, like not only is it kind of creepy looking, but it is it is genuinely scary and creepy. Then, I mean, it's gonna be it could be really good because we haven't had really good mm-hmm. horror on television or or at least stuff that gives you the huzz like sort of those old X-File episodes. So if they can kind of do that, then that would be awesome. I think what's so interesting for me, just kind of watching this show, is I'm not somebody who generally enjoys that supernatural horror type thing. That's just not really um, the thing that I I kind of want to first, you know, watch on TV uh, or or even movies. I, I don't enjoy, you know, watching a horror movies uh, those those really aren't my thing so kind of approaching Constantine I, I thought to myself I'm not even sure if I'm going to like this because it's not usually what I enjoy watching and watching the show you know I have to say I was immediately one just kind of one over with the character of John Constantine and kind of who they portray this guy to be of of, of you know somebody who is completely regretting uh, the mistakes that he's made in life that he feels like he can never take back, you know, uh, you know, in, in the show, I mean, he's, he's damned to hell and he knows it and he's constantly trying to make up for that in a lot of ways. And that kind of drives his, you know, whole being at this point. And, uh, it, it also goes to kind of, uh, they do a really good job of kind of explaining, you know, why is this kind kind of a jerk to everyone? You know, he, he grew up tough and uh he's had a tough life ever since you know it's been kind of one thing after another and just that characterization to me won me over to something that i don't generally you know just flip on the tv and think i you know i want to go watch supernatural you know or or those kind of shows like it's it's not you know what i would normally go to but this i i really enjoyed that that character and you know Matt Ryan's performance and it made me want to keep watching this show so as a pilot my first impression is okay I'm I'm interested you've got me you know you've got me for at least you know half a season or a season let's see where this goes and I think you know any show that's what they're going for and uh, I gotta applaud them on that especially when I know that they had a hard job with me because it's it's not generally what i i would um think of myself as enjoy watching i think the the beauty of john constantine as a character and as a premise and the world that he inhabits is is that the world around him is horrible it you know it's yeah it there are a lot of terrible things that happen around him to his friends he he's dealing in very ugly dirty stuff but john is entertaining john is fun to watch there's a certain amount of um, there's a joy in watching him be a jerk. There's a, yeah. there's, there's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's fun in it. And, uh, and, and as, and as reprehensible as he may be or whatever, because I think that his redemption, what's, I think the beauty about, of not his redemption, but his, his, his wish to not go to hell isn't driven from, uh, how do you call it? Um, heroism. It's it's a selfish desire to not want to burn, a self preservation. Yeah, exactly. Biased. Which is, I mean, I think I think when you look back at probably the most famous of the John Constantine comic book stories, which is Dangerous Habits. Dangerous Habits. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is that is the crux of that of that thing. He's going to die of cancer, 
he's been told, well, you're going to burn for that. You're going to burn. You're going to go to hell. And he doesn't want to go to hell. He doesn't want to go to hell. And he just, it, it's, so the lengths and the, and the schemes that he pulls to eventually beat the devils at their own game and not go to hell and not die and basically kind of be, I'm not immortal, but, but, but secure his place, not in hell is part of his, his motivation. Like he, it isn't because he wants to do the right thing. He does, but it isn't his first thought. His first thought is I don't want to burn in hell. And that's, I think a very, it's a very different place to come from as a, as a, I guess, as an anti-hero or as a hero, which is why maybe we call him an anti-hero. And then there's a, there's a, there's a subsequent arc where he, he basically bullies God into telling him, into, into saying, letting him know that, look, if you send me to hell, it's me. Look at how awesome I am. I'm going to rule down there. I'm going to take <laughs> over everything and then I'm going to come for you. And you don't want that. It's going to beat Lucifer at his own game. Yeah, exactly. So don't, yeah. uh, don't make sure that I don't go to hell. And God acquiesces and says, okay, I, I'll make sure you don't go to hell. You're going to regret that decision, by the way. But, but, <laughs> but that's fine. You know, but that's the, that's the game John's playing. It's, it is, it is about, it is partly about doing the right thing and about his guilt over Astra because his guilt over Astra is a very real thing in the comic books as it is in the, in the series. But there is that, that thing about him that is selfish is about his self-preservation and, and, and that makes him a, a very compelling character. And, and we only get very slight glimpses of that where he, um, he blackmails uh, his friend to, uh, you know, to help him take down the power grid. And, you know, those aren't things that heroes do, you know? And uh, so, so you get little glimpses of that. And I, what, I, what I want them to do is keep pulling at that thread of the balance between a guy who likes getting into trouble and, and dabbling in things he shouldn't be dabbling in and the hero side, the, the, the selfish and the selflessness, because John has not equal parts, both not equal parts of each, but, but there is a complexity to him that I want them to, to mine as the, sh- as the show goes on. You know, HBO actually, um, they, they, they had a, a couple of slots of the, the Constantine movie, the Keanu Reeves movie, uh, over the course of the weekend, and I and I happened to watch it, and it's interesting because now they're both so fresh in my mind. It's interesting to see how the movie wasn't nearly as as disappointing as I remembered it. I think it was more disappointing when I saw it in the theater, but now it's kind of like researching Constantine a little bit more and seeing that most of the material came from uh, Dangerous ha- Dangerous Habits or an Original Sin. Mm-hmm. Um. It wasn't so much the fault of the movie as it was the fault of the casting, and I think that I think that Matt Ryan has a really good opportunity here to be the palate cleanser that everyone wanted from that movie. I I I, uh, I think he has the opportunity to own a part in the way that that Amel now owns Arrow. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, but what I did like about the, the movie that I hope they bring. And I'm not sure if they could do it, but you know, budgetarily, is that I think Constantine the movie had a really, really good sense of the art direction and what the world should look like. It had a nice grittiness to it. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that network TV always seems to favor is um, a certain sense of gloss coating and polish uh, to all of the sets. 
I almost want to see almost a crossover art direction wise from True Detective. Oh yeah, into that Constantine. would be that absolutely. Because when you're watching True Detective, it just has that when they're deep where they're where they're mining into all of that backwoods occult grittiness. You want to have that. You want to have the environment to become the character itself. And I think that's one thing that Constantine has a real good opportunity in using the lair or just you know when Constantine is out, um, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in this as the parallel universe you know shor- you know shrouds him and 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 starts pushing its way through the dimensional planes. You need to feel that. You need to feel that as a character that he can address. And uh, it's it's something that I'm looking forward to seeing as the show goes on if they go that way. I completely agree. I think that 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 is a great comparison. That if they could. If they could mine a little of that that um, that feeling of True Detective, where you almost—I mean, I remember watching that show and always feeling a little bit on edge, always feeling a little bit like not that something's around every corner, but you're a little uncomfortable uh, watching it. Um, I, I agree. I, I especially the flashback stuff where where they're in the past, not in the present. Exactly. Looking at the churches, seeing some of those symbols. I mean, there's there are like you know little bits of art here and there that just make, you know, they, they they're just strange. Yeah, exactly. Your, your mind doesn't know how to process that, and that's the world of John Constantine. Things are just he knows, sure, but the people that are on this journey with him, it just it's so strange and so off putting that you as the audience should feel that sense of foreboding as well. Yeah, you should feel that sense of uh, that not not just foreboding, but that. It's that something isn't right. Exactly, just what you said. It's it's something isn't right. You you feel like everything's slightly out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a that's a very that's a very good critique. And if they can get to that, this show is going to have something. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, if they sure. can get there, they that will be that'll be a huge thing. Um, they're not quite there yet. I, like I said, it's a pilot, so you're laying down mm-hmm. a lot of pipe. You're 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 introducing a lot of characters. You're you're dropping in your little. You know your Easter eggs, your your things for the fans, your things that kind of stuff. But I think, like all shows, you got to find your voice, and uh, hopefully they'll they'll get the chance to to do so. I, I I feel like I feel like again that Friday night slot. There's expectations aren't as high. You don't have to pull a huge number. I think I think we'll see them go the whole season. Yeah, because they they pulled a respectable number on their opening night. Last couple of things I'd love to get into. One, just uh, we've talked a ton about what we liked and and what kind of really worked for us with the show. And there's maybe some of the things that that didn't work for you. You feel like need some work in the show. And then where do you kind of hope, uh, especially for you two knowing the comics, where do you kind of hope that this show will take us? Well, I mean, if if we're nitpicking here, because I really did overall enjoy the pilot. I think that the pilot, uh, again, it made some really daring choices uh it had to compress a lot of information in a short amount of time um as a as an artist myself as a graphic designer i usually tend to um nitpick a little bit just on art direction um cinematography um environmental um uh, impression um you know the kind of atmosphere that a show like this needs and that's why i brought up the last bit it's about the environment john constantine is in this constant state of understanding how the dimensional walls are always shifting around him, where things are coming through, the danger of it all, and using his wit and his his black humor as ways of off-putting people who, you know, they're they're worried, but they have no idea how worried they should be. 
you know, and he uses it. Uh, he uses his personality and his standoffishness as a way to deflect that. So, if they can get a little more of that, uh, again, that dread and and that type of uh, sinister air into the show, I think that's going to be really great. But overall, though, I didn't really have too much to complain about. I mean, there are a couple of instances where some of the characters, um, Manny the Angel, he was a little bit of a, he was serviceable, but I know the actor, he's a lot better than what we saw of him, you know, from Lost. And uh, I don't know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, if, if, if I had to make critiques, it would probably be in the first three or four episodes where I can be a little bit more constructive about it, because I don't think I've seen enough yet. Uh, and the only thing that I'm really bringing with me is, in the, from a visual standpoint, from a visual medium, is the movie. And I don't think that's fair to bring to bear as a critique against the show. Uh, well, I, I, I agree with everything uh, Norman just said. Um, I think if I had any nitpicks or anything I didn't care about the show, I, I guess I agreed with the showrunners. I'm, I'm not sure if Liv was the strongest character in the world to 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 have in there. I mean... She's fine and serviceable as a character. I I just don't know how interesting she was as a person. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I mean, she's not there anymore, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, I think a lot of the things that I, you know, would nitpick about are what Norman was saying. Sort of atmospherics. It's 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 about creating uh, that kind of a, a, a that supernatural world that he lives in. I, I think that's very, very important. And I almost want to see them turn up the jerk just a little bit on John. Just a, a couple of, couple of, not to 11, eight, eight and a half. I, you know, go ahead and turn it up. And, you know, uh, let him smoke. It's all right. I, I, I'm, a, exactly. I'm a grown man. He's, a ton, he's on mm-hmm. 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night. He should be able to have a cigarette. Because that is, look, I, I understand why they don't, why they're, and, and I've heard the showrunner say plenty of times, he's going to smoke. Don't worry about it. But, that smoking is part of him. It it is a, it is it is an it is an affectation that informs the character, and and without it, he feels, it feels like he's missing something, and and part of that is a, uh, is is allusions to his addictions to, to his addictive personality. I mean, he is a bit addicted to this life, and also how he doesn't care so much about his himself. You know, like he cares about his, I mean, he cares that he doesn't want to go to hell, but he'll smoke till, you know, his lungs burn out. I mean, that's, it's, it's part of his destructive nature. So it's not just uh it's not just an affectation. It is an affectation that informs him. So, uh, so I think those are the things that I, maybe I would, I would critique a little bit. Uh, I know that there was a lot of, um, discussion, not some discussion. There were articles written about the lack of his sort of bisexuality being prevalent. It, it was never... It was always footnotes in the comics um, of his sort of sexual escapades. There's one uh, story that was pointed out to me because I'd never I'd never read it by Azzarello where it does factor in sort of heavily, but in a very weird way where where he's he he he's the boyfriend of someone that he is actually trying to get revenge on. So it isn't the most positive portrayal of a of a of a sexual relationship. Um but I, I want them to be able to explore dark, dark, and not just dark, but mature themes. Maybe dark isn't the right word, but mature stuff. And, uh, and I don't want them to be uh, hesitant to do that. So um, I, I want them to be able to go there. This shouldn't be, this shouldn't have the same, uh, 
brush painted on it as, as Flasher era or Gotham. It should, it should feel very different. They should be able to do stuff on the show that you can't do on other television shows. Yeah, I, I'm with you, both of you guys. Uh, for me, you know, I, I didn't buy from the from the very beginning the Liv character. I just she didn't seem to gel well with the where they're kind of. I would think they were trying to go with Constantine. That it, it just, as you said, Jose, the the kind of doctor companion thing doesn't really seem to fit, especially with him. Most likely going to be more of a jerk than he was in the pilot. I think you, know, you need someone it, that can that can fight take with him. it. Yeah. That can, yeah, that exactly. can take it and gives fight it with back. him and yeah. that can hold their own when need be because mm-hmm. I don't think that you want to show where the 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 sidekick is is always in peril. Right. You know definitely. Um I think I think you want John in peril. I think you want John I think you want John always getting in too getting in too deep and then scheming his way out of it. Well, and, and, and I'm with you too on the smoking thing. Look, network television can put some ridiculous things on TV. Oh, sure. That, that you know, that I, I mean, whether it's sex or violence, the, the amount of things that can be put on television is just insane. But the the fact that we can't show an anti-hero smoking on television is 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 really ridiculous. Well, it's funny I because mean, it, you know traditionally it, in in one of the uh, the type slot that it used to share in the X Files, the cigarette smoking man was one of the most important characters on the show, oh, yeah. and that's what he did. That's what he did all the right. time on camera, Mor- all the time. Morley's, so I don't know. I believe, yeah, I believe I was the fake brand Morley's, that they yeah. came up yeah. with. Yeah. Morley's. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, you know, I, I I think that that is kind of ridiculous, especially when. It really does inform the character, and it's not something that's glamorized. I mean, it, it, you know, with Constantine, as you said, Jose, this is a an addictive behavior of his that because he doesn't care about his body. And not only that, but the fact that that you know, eventually they will tackle the dangerous habit storyline. I mean, you know that they will if if the show goes on long enough, they will tackle it. So you'll get to eventually, hopefully, see the ramifications of that. So it isn't something glorifying cigarettes. It's something that that eventually will cost him something. And and that's a big deal. And I think, um, you know, look, you can't hide these things from kids anyway, you know, and especially your teenagers. And if, if you're not willing to have an honest conversation with your teenager um, because you're not willing to be a good enough parent to, to, to know what they're watching and then talk about what they're watching with them, then that's not television's fault yeah well you know, you know I, so. I think i think it's i think the smoking on tv is one of those things that we'll come back around you know we we went through a period where it was it, it was whatever it was a reflection of society everybody smoked and then we're going through a period now where it's like oh my god you're having a cigarette it's worse than heroin and you know it's curving back around where i think where we're getting to a place where it's somewhere in the middle where people understand that cigarettes are bad and this is coming from a guy who smoked for you know, 15 years um, where we know that it's bad for you. But if we see it depicted in our fictional characters, we understand that it's not a glamorization. It is what it is. And I it think- would have been a really interesting thing, though, if they gave him a, um, you know, like one of those blue cigarettes or a vape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That would be something. But I think I think oh if you do gosh. that joke, then he has to have it for a little bit and then ditch it for right. a real cigarette. Yeah. At the end. He's like, this is this is rubbish. This is terrible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
Um, oh, gosh. That would be funny. <laughs> well, well, guys, I, I've got to thank you so much because, you know, as I said at the beginning, not being a person who really knew Constantine, um, I, I didn't feel adequate to, to really talk about this show. And so I've had a great time being able to talk with you guys because I, I don't know the character as well. And, and now with this kind of background, it, I think it's it's going to be more fun watching the show and kind of seeing where they're going as I kind of uh, get to know this character more and more. So I just really appreciate you being here. And so um, before we go, uh, Jose, tell everybody where they can find you online and, and about your show, The Zero Room. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, uh, we do a podcast. Uh, my friend Doug and I, we do a podcast called The Zero Room where we mostly talk about sort of this kind of thing, pop culture, geeky stuff. Uh, we do kind of our Doctor Who recap every week when the show's on. And and uh, we generally just talk about the news of the week and uh, maybe once in a while kind of do a deep dive on on a topic. Um, we do that. Uh, usually comes out on Mondays, except for this week, of course, because my partner in crime was uh, was not feeling well. So we uh, we had to cancel. But um, but we do that. Uh, usually comes out on Mondays, and that's at the zero room dot net or dot com. And uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter. I'm Ringslinger R I N G S L I N G E R, and uh, that's where you can find me there. So that's that's where I'm at. Awesome. And Norm, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Norman Lau. That's N O R M A N L A O. And also, I'm a huge supporter of Alec Peters and the Star Trek Axanar project. And you can find me usually on the Axanar fan group on Facebook. Um, but I'm also, um, I love saying this because you know me, Matthew. Um, I, I love the network and I love promoting it. And uh, I'm a proud sponsor of Trek FM through Patreon. And I'm an associate producer for Warp 5, The Orb, Star Trek Axanar, the official Axanar podcast. And most recently, most pridefully saying, uh, the 602 Club, because for me, I felt that it was the quickest way to win Ruby's heart. <laughs> but only time will tell. <laughs> well, I got to say, one, um, it's it's meant the world that uh, you are supporting the show. And I just want to say to everyone, thank you so much. We've had reviews already on iTunes, and uh, we've had just a great outpouring. So I really appreciate it and because, you know, all the shows that we do on Trek FM, we do it for the listeners, and, and it, it really is a labor of love. We don't get paid for it. Um, you know, none of that money that comes to uh, support the shows comes to us uh, as people. It just goes to make sure that we can keep uh, putting the shows, uh, quote unquote, on the air. And so uh, it, it means the world to us. But, um, you know, it, it's been fun talking about Constantine this week, but it's not the only thing that we've been talking about on Trek FM this past week here. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? And he's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, yeah. walking around the bridge like, like I didn't have my spine grown, you know, last week. <laughs> Earl Grey. You know, he's on the Enterprise. He doesn't have to be written into the movie because, hey, he's on the Enterprise. Everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you know. a chair. He gets a chair. I mean, I mean, the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a Warp-centered uh, movie now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote-unquote, hands clean. The, the fact that he has this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting. To the journey! I think the audience by large, or by and large, 
kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing, without even realizing it. And then Measure of a Man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose. Warp 5. The TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at Warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and... Yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. What's interesting, though, is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, no, let no. that be your last yeah. battlefield. It was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed to have our ship, so you know, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars. Although there is a certain darker aspect to the story than let's say one would find in Roddenberry's version of humanity there is also room for hope literary treks I I can see that Jean-Luc might have told her you know I was reading Janeway's logs and can you believe that Q got married and has a son continuing mission you're watching the man trap and then for no reason at all, they go into the botany, well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right, the botanical... A, I think it's just botany room. The botany room. <laughs> and there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space yep. plant, and you're just like, what? <laughs> Melodic Treks. The latest Thompson Holiday Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axonar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. And, you know, thankfully, it resonated with Alec and, and Christian. And you know, here, here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That really helps us out greatly, and it makes it easier for the listeners to find our show as they search in iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and the different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seat on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com. I'd like to give a shout out to the people who gave us some iTunes reviews. We've had some fantastic five-star iTunes reviews from 49er Faithful, X Ransom, and CBS Spock. I want to thank you so much, guys, for going to iTunes, actually writing those reviews out and giving us those star ratings. It is fantastic to see that for this brand new show, and I really do appreciate everything that you're doing for the show already. 
If you'd like to contact us beyond giving us the written reviews and the star ratings there in iTunes, you can contact us at trek.fm slash contact. Just choose the show in the form and that email will come directly to us. You can leave us a voicemail, look in the sidebar on the show page, or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter, of course, at trek.fm. Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and there's also the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion on the menu bar. And before you go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. You guys, Audible is a great way for you to read all those books that you've always wanted to read, but you just don't have time for. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for being a supporter of the 602 Club and the network. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. If you'd like to contact me, your host here, you can do that at MattRushing02 on Twitter. I'm also on the Orb and Literary Treks there with my partner, Christopher Jones, who's also the publisher here on the network. I love doing those shows with him. The Orb, obviously, about all things Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, we have Literary Treks, all about the books and comics of Star Trek. And you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42 lifeinbetween.wordpress.com Well, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.